it should be, um, and how can it be? I could be in the process today of preparing to go to a graduation, a birthday party, or just to get some rest, to kick my feet up, and something happens that requires immediate attention, and we have to just go. We have to shift. We have to shift resources. We don't, we, you know, don't always have the money, but we find it. We find it along our way because we have so many supporters who stand with us. And you mentioned, you know, this idea of explaining ourselves over and over again. I have to be very, very clear. I have uh, thrown away the idea of trying to explain to certain people every day because if I did that, I would never get a chance to do my work because they come up with something all the time. They make little short clips of things that you say so that they can use it as a aha gotcha moment. You know, they do. They they work really hard at trying to discredit um, other people who are out there doing work. So that's an actual job, and it's not my job. So I can't focus on responding to it. But if you do see me or hear me um, making a statement, it is because I want to talk to those people who are with me, those people who want to be connected and they just want to understand what's happening and what's your position on these issues so that they can, one, become warriors to go out there and speak on my behalf to help us to continue the movement and also to spread truthful information rather than allowing some people to try to drown out our work with false narratives. Avis, your question is to Mallory. Hi there, Tamika. It's wonderful to see you. And once again, congratulations on your book. Well deserved for all the accolades that you're getting and will get as it continues to be rolled out. Uh, I have a question for you because, you know, I know that you have been, you're not new to this, you're true to this, as they would say, right? This is not something that is just a fly-by-night interest of yours. You've been doing this work literally all of your life. And when I think about all that you've done uh, and all the different ways that you have fought for our community, you know, it, it is really unparalleled by a, a lot of folks, let's just be real. Uh, however, I believe that as a black woman, the, the strength of your leadership is not properly acknowledged. I believe that if it was a man who has the very same resume that you have, um, you would be given an, an even greater sort of platform and stature and just acknowledgement for the full-fledged excellent leader that you are. So, so my question to you is, you know, what do you see as um, a way that you can, as a black woman, um, I know that you're going to do the work regardless, but is there any way that you think that we as a society can do a better job of really acknowledging the power of black leadership when it comes in the frame of a powerful black woman? You know, when I think about, thank you so much, um, you know how much I love and appreciate you as a dear sister. Um, you know, when I think about Roland, just in general and on this show um, and all the people who Roland has helped to get to where they are and we know that I mean I've watched folks grow from uh, you know sitting with Roland and learning they weren't necessarily commentators at the time that he started with all of us I mean even me you know there's there's a growth process and Roland has been a part of that and I think that's one of the ways that people who are in positions of power or people who have platforms need to use them to uplift the voices of young women um, and of young people in general who are out here who really do deserve the type of awareness to be raised around their voices and their leadership. And so I would say that's one, but I think the movement is shifting. I think this moment that we're in, we're beginning to see more women rising 
to the occasion, and it's really nothing that can be done about it because at the end of the day, if you don't respect those women who are out here leading these protests, these women who are organizing on behalf of women and men, if you don't respect the voices of trans, black trans folks um, who are also organizing in a movement to protect those people who are being killed um, unjustly, uh, and, 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 and we know that there are some folks in our community that don't understand it, and so we are all in an education process. We're learning together, and we're learning about the power of black women, um, and I think I'm glad to be a part of the generation that will make sure that the voices of black women do not go unnoticed, and I think that's happening whether people like it or not, so they might as well just join. What do they say if you can't speak us? Just join us. Julian, your question. Hey, Tamika, how you doing? It's good to see you. Um, we go back a little ways, and I want to go back a little ways in asking my question. I know that you say you don't want to revisit the past and explain yourself, but I'm thinking about the Women's March and the challenges of intersectionality, about the ways that we as various women work together. Uh, I think that women of color often do a lot better than when we're working with uh, the melanin deficient. Um, if you know what I mean. So I, just, what did you take away from the Women's March, and what would you say to others who uh, are trying to juggle intersectional issues? So first of all, thank you, Dr. Malvo, for standing with us during that time. You were a true warrior, and um, you helped us to articulate uh, what we were feeling by writing such detailed and informative pieces that really describes the, the experience of black and brown people when they are in spaces with uh, white women. Um, and that's what I'm just going to call it. I'm not going to call it melanin uh, deficient. I'm going to just say white women because that's who we were working with. And um, in my book, there is a particular portion that focuses on the experience that I had at the Women's March. The story has not been fully told. The book only covers it um, just a, a little bit. I'm in the process of, of just starting my memoir where I'm really going to talk more about uh, that experience. And I think what I learned and what I took away is that, and black women tried to warn me prior to getting involved in the Women's March. I'm still very proud of the work that we did. And if I had to make the choice again, I would go back and do it because I know how powerful that moment was. And I know that we had a responsibility to stand in the gap of people trying to whitewash the issues around racism, sexism, fascism, and so on um, in this country. And we certainly were not going to allow a march to happen where the focus was Donald Trump as if he was the beginning and end of the, the many years of challenges and oppression, uh, particularly that people of color have, have faced. And so I'm, I'm proud of that work. But I did learn a very, very uh, painful lesson about when black folks and black women specifically are in close proximity to white women on a consistent basis, how much harm can be done. Um, you know, we went through a lot physically, mentally, emotionally, um, after being in that space. It's very, very draining and taxing because white women have a lot of work to do. And I see the work happening. I made sure that in this book that white women, when they pick it up, that they will have an opportunity to experience our pain and to join us to really become deep accomplices in helping us to, to navigate through uh, this fight towards racial equity and justice. Uh, but there is so much work to be done with mothers and aunties and sisters within the, the 
individuals who they claim to be helping. And, um, and you know, and, it, and it, it's, a, it's a tough lesson to learn on your back. Certainly, that's how we learned it. Jamaica, uh, we talked earlier about what happens when, when you have to deal with criticism. Uh, you had to go through uh, all of this when Samaria Rice was criticizing you and others, even though you never even went to Cleveland, you were never involved in uh, the Tamir Rice uh, uh, case there. Uh, but there were folks like Brown Taylor's mother, uh, people were de- demanding that you uh, address the issue, but there were people like Brown Taylor's mother who came forward and said, no, nah, hold up, wait a minute. We made clear we wanted Tamika involved. Um, and talk about, again, having to go through that uh, and, 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 and having to deal with those attacks when you had nothing to even do with Tamir Rice's case. So, you know, I, I recognize the trauma, Roland, and I also understand that white supremacy is causing us to be at one another versus using all the smoke, as they say, to fight the systems that are in place to oppress our people and our communities. And so I get, I get, I understand that there is trauma. Anytime you lose a, a child and, and feel like people are sort of moving forward in life and your situation has not been addressed, you have not received justice, I can get why there would be pain, why there would be trauma. And I also understand that oftentimes we lash out at people who we see in visible positions um, and feel like they ought to do more. And to be quite honest, I've said it and I will continue to say that all of us, every single one of us fails um, Miss Rice and her family because anytime a child is killed, we ought to turn this country inside out and upside down until justice is served. And, and, and I don't believe uh, that she feels that we did that in the ways in which we should have or could have. I was younger in the movement at that time. And as you said, I've never actually traveled to Cleveland. I've never been one to, to talk about uh, the, the Tamir Rice case other than, you know, there, there may have been moments in my, you know, where you're sort of calling the roles. But that's not something that I have ever done. And so I, um, I understand the frustration, but I also just ask people because I did get the calls. And, of course, it hurts when you hear someone who doesn't know you, who's never met you, speaking of you in such a way. And so I did, um, you know, to get the calls from individuals who were like, well, what's happening? You know, people had some impression that I must have done something or been working with her. Maybe there was a misunderstanding. And when I explained that I had not actually been in any relationship to that case and, and that situation, um, you know, it, it provided a little bit of clarity about the trauma. But I, I encouraged everyone to speak to the families that I've actually worked with, speak to the people that for 25 years of my life I've been in the trenches with. And I, I can tell you 10 toes down that those families um, do not share the same sentiments that I am exploiting other people's um, families. In fact, I was invited to be with the families last weekend because of the fact that, you know, I, I try to work and help and support so many of them. We just helped Ahmad Arbery's family to launch their foundation. We're working with other families to put their foundations together and to help them build more sustainable models for their foundation. Obviously, you mentioned Brianna Taylor's mother coming out and speaking up for me, you know, and she and I didn't even ask her to. I just looked up one day and she wrote something about it. I tried my best not to engage the mothers and not to ask any of them to get involved with something so painful. Um, I didn't want that to happen. But Sabrina Fulton and others, they 
got out there and they began to say that they know me and they spoke on behalf of my character and the fact that I always try to operate with integrity. And I'm going to continue to do my work and I wish everyone uh, peace um, and, and, and whatever I can do to be helpful, I'm here. Last question I have for you. Um, it's very interesting. Um, the fragility of weak-ass black men. Um, I'm looking at some of these fools in our YouTube chat, whining, complaining, and oh, black women have always gotten credit, and I'm going, y'all clearly have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Uh, I had some fool complaining, oh, Tabika said sexism is uh, much more rampant than racism, and I'm going, you probably are a dude, because you don't even want to acknowledge that sexism exists. And you, and you have to deal you have to deal with, and I'll go ahead and say it, you have to deal with the misogyny of other black male leaders who, let's be frank, don't like seeing this many black women in leadership positions. What do you say to that young woman out there who is volunteering, who maybe wants to follow in your footsteps and others, uh, who is not as strong in dealing with that, in dealing with uh, the forces uh, of, of male uh, entitlement when it comes to leadership. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, and I, I do want to go back to something you said about the racism, uh, sexism piece. I think it's really important, again, when, you know, we sort of listen to these clips um, and, and just automatically think or the worst of and don't necessarily understand the intentions of those who are speaking. Mm -hmm. I was asked about Kamala Harris becoming president in 2022, 2024, excuse me. I was being asked if I think that that's possible. And I had already talked about racism. And I, you know, of course, I talk about that all the time. And so when asked whether or not she might be able to become president, what I said was that, number one, um, the only way she will become president is if her record speaks for her, if she's actually done something to ensure that the black community respects and, 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 and honors the work, the actual work, that she has a heavy load on her shoulders that we expect her to live up to. And then I went on to talk about how sexism is the double whammy and how sexism can be worse than racism because of the fact that when you apply both things, um, you have, again, a double whammy. You have something extra, something additional on top of the fact that you're black. So we already know that being a black woman or a black man is, the, is, is, is very, very difficult. It is the most challenging. It's awful sometimes um, when we think about the ways in which we are um, uh, discriminated against in this nation and, and have always been. But when you add the challenge of being a black woman, it makes it even worse. So, you know what, guess what? Maybe I could have said it a different way. Perhaps, um, you know, the words that I use, if I was more like Dr. Malvo, I would have had a, a better flow in terms of how I was getting out my point. But if you know my heart and you know my work and what I have been doing and all the men that I have stood up for and fought for for so many years, the fact that that particular clip is taken so far out of context for what it is that I'm actually laying is what I'm talking about. People who really are looking for something negative um, because any, everyone else, because I call, I call, I call Mark Thompson, I called a bunch of brothers. I said, I want you to 
watch this and I want you to tell me what you think. Do I need to respond or not? And the, the reception that I received, even from some of my toughest critics, I think about my friend Tony Lindsay, uh, who he, he and I, we debate all the time about all of these issues. And he was like, you know, I listened to it and I was, I was a little confused. And he said, but I went back and I really listened to what you were saying and now I'm listening to you talk about it. And I realized the point that you were making about the double uh, whammy, I guess, again, that we experience as black women. And I do deal with misogyny. I deal with it from uh, other leaders. I deal with it from those who come into my comments and call me out my name. Um, you know, those who, who use their platforms to consistently attack and, uh-oh, I don't know if I've lost you. No, you're still here. You're still here. Good. Something popped up on the screen. Um, you know, those who consistently attack and go after me, they use their pages on a daily basis to talk about me. Um, and, and I have to, I deal with it. And guess what? Actually, I don't deal with it. So the question that you asked about the young girl who's coming up behind me, I would say block and move on. When you see it, block them and move on. You have to keep going. We have a responsibility to do the work. No one gets to tell us that we're not powerful, that we have to dim our light, that we can't be out as a leader. And also, here's the thing. This is the most important point, the most important point. Perfection is not reality. No one is perfect. Tamika Mallory's not perfect. Most of the critics and the haters, they definitely are not perfect. But what you have to look at is who's actually doing the work, who's on the ground, who is out there standing in the face of white supremacy, dealing with um, challenging police and having a target on your back because they know your real name, as my friend Teslin Figaro would say. She would say, hey, what, I don't know your real name. You're on here talking to me through a fake, fake profile, but I'm actually out in the street as Tamika Mallory. And so when I see the police, they know who I am. They know exactly who I am, and, and I have been targeted in this movement. And so I have to stay focused and keep going. Don't go back, don't look back. Uh, you know, it's, it's the old, the Harriet Tubman statement. If you hear the dogs barking, keep going. You can hear them coming after you, just keep going. And I'm ministering to myself as I say this, and as I continue to block all of them, because you know what? In the end, whatever they have to say about me, they need to find a way to do it better and outwork me. Simple as that, y'all. The book is called State of Emergency, How We Win in the Country We Built. Uh, the forward is by Angela Davis and Cardi B. Uh, actually, I got one last one. Tamika, I asked all authors this. Uh, what was the wild moment? The wild mo- When you were writing this book, the wild moment that caused you to go, oh, my God, it's unbelievable. It could have been something you remember. It could have been something that came about. Was there a wild moment for you? I think, first of all, the fact that I was like, uh, that I had all of the chapters outlined was a wild moment because it's a real job to actually sit down and do the work. Um, but I do think that, that that forward between Cardi B and Angela Davis is an important part of the book. It actually gave me inspiration because I kept writing knowing that I opened the book intentionally drawing in every single person that I wanted to reach just by having Dr. Davis and Cardi B uh, to be in there to set the intention to have Cardi basically saying to Angela Davis, should I, am I allowed? Am I, am I welcome in this movement next to you? Um, you know, is there space for me? And to have Angela Davis take the time 
to sit and respond to Cardi. I know that that gives uh, a point of entry for for Keisha, who maybe uh, maybe she has two jobs, two kids, and she might be a stripper at night. Um, it has a space for Ray Ray, who might be on a street corner today, but because of what he found in this book, he realizes that there's a place for him in the movement. I wanted it to reach the doctor, reach the lawyer, reach the bus driver. I wanted everyone to find themselves in this book, and I think that the intention that was set with the forward helps to be able to do that. All right, Jackie. Again, folks, State of Emergency, How We Win in the Country We Built by Tanika Mallory. Tanika, always good to see you. Uh, get some rest, keep swinging, uh, and tell the haters to go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> love you, bro. You tell them for me. You love know you. I will. I appreciate the big love you, dog. Thanks a lot. Folks, that is it for us. I want to thank